Bibles this morning, you can turn to the 13th chapter of Mark's Gospel. Mark chapter 13. The Olivet Discourse, as it's called in Mark 13, as Jesus teaches from the Mount of Olives to four of His disciples, puts the focus of all human history, all of it, past, present, and eventually future, on a moment that occurred almost 2,000 years ago. The crucifixion of the Son of God, our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. The death of Jesus has universal significance. It's the display of ultimate power. It is cosmic in its sweep. It literally encompasses everyone and everything that exists, has existed, or ever will exist. The death of Jesus almost 2,000 years ago is the event that ushered in the last days of this world, inaugurating the end and setting the stage for the consummation of God's plan for all creation. Everything God has done in creation, from the garden to the cross to the end of all things and everything in between, has been to exalt His Son as the means of our salvation so that God may be glorified and exalted forever for His grace by those He has redeemed. Nothing and no one is more important than Jesus Christ and what His life, death, resurrection, and exaltation mean to each and every person that has ever lived, whether they will acknowledge Him or not. It is extremely appropriate at the beginning of a new year to fix our eyes on the cosmic essence of Jesus. He is the one to believe. He is the one to trust. He's the only one, beloved. The only one. The world is going the way God has designed it to go since the fall, heading full speed towards the cataclysmic end of all things, when the devil will be released to do his worst, but when all seems lost and at its darkest, Jesus will crack the sky and bring history to its appointed close. He is God's beloved Son. Listen to Him. Jesus calls us all to vigilance until the end with the truth and perfection of His Word as the reason for our enduring faith. Let me pray and we'll begin. Father, we thank You for Your Word this morning, its perfection and its permanence, its authority, its divinity. God, we praise You for Your Son, Jesus Christ. God, I ask that You would open my eyes to Him as I preach this passage that, Lord, You would have Your way in my heart and in my mind, and therefore my mouth, that I may speak the truth clearly, correctly, and in a way that honors You and rends the hearts of all who listen. And God, I pray for those who hear this morning, God, that You would, by Your Holy Spirit, enable them to hear, enable them to accept and believe Your Word. Watch over us all as for these next moments we sit under the word of Jesus Christ that's speaking to us from another world, having been in ours already. We ask and pray these things in His name. Amen. Let me start in verse 28. I'll read to verse 31 to begin. From the fig tree, learn its lesson. As soon as its branch becomes tender and puts out its leaves, you know that summer is near. So also, when you see these things taking place you know that He is near at the very gates. Truly I say to you, this generation will not pass away 
until all these things take place. Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will not pass away. Jesus continues uh, speaking to the four disciples who went aside with him privately back in verse 3. Peter, James, John, and Andrew. All the details of this discourse are relevant to his disciples. Jesus will, of course, link his words to them, to us, and all his disciples for all time, absolutely. But the immediate application of this text is for his disciples, those to whom he is speaking. They are the you to which Jesus speaks. When a fig tree's branches become tender and put out leaves, people know that summer is near. That's a sign you could tell from nature it was woven into it. You could depend on it. Also in verse 29, Jesus says, when these disciples see these things taking place, uh, meaning, beloved, that whatever Jesus is talking about or has been talking about in verses 3 to 27, these disciples were going to see it. All right. That's what we would naturally take from the text. They should know when they see it that Jesus is at the very gates. He is about to be exalted. And I hope if you were here last week, if you weren't, uh, please listen if you can on YouTube or on our church website. I hope we now understand from Daniel 7 that Jesus is drawing from here and its prophecy concerning the Son of Man coming to the Ancient of Days and His ascension to be at that moment granted all authority in heaven and on earth that when these disciples, Jesus is saying, when you see the desolate abomination and great tribulation that He is going to suffer in His crucifixion and the subsequent glory of His resurrection, when they see those things, they need to know that the His exaltation to the Father's right hand is imminent. He is at the very gates of it. Jesus is about to be glorified as the Son of Man. Verse 30 solidifies that that's what He's saying. Truly I say to you, this generation will not pass away until all these things take place. We can't go back and forth between what we think this generation is throughout the Gospels based on what we already believe about the end. We need to let it stand. They were going to live through everything that Jesus is talking about here. He didn't say this to confuse or to invite speculation. He worded it that way precisely for their clarity, beloved, so that they would know He is talking about them. Think about it. There's no point to His call to vigilance to these disciples if He's speaking to a future generation that doesn't exist yet. Why do they need to be vigilant to recognize the times if He's not speaking to them of theirs? But beloved, listen. The key here that does apply to all of us is not the details. The key is the promise because the promise stands for all of us in verse 31. Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will not pass away. There is not one single generation of Christians on planet earth that needs to doubt that what Jesus says will come true. Listen to me. An asteroid could hit our planet and destroy it tomorrow. Tsunamis could, tsunamis a mile high could crash into every coast on planet earth until the oceans literally covered the entire globe. The sky could tear. The sun could go crashing into Mercury and then Venus and then Earth. A black hole could swallow all known reality. A zombie apocalypse could take over, right? His words will not pass away. 
My kids ask me sometimes, Daddy, what would be the one thing that would make you doubt that God exists? I don't know why they ask me that, but we do all the time. And normally for them, it's the zombie apocalypse. If the zombie apocalypse happens, then I know there's no God. (laughs) There's nothing that could happen. Nothing. Nothing. That should ever cause us to question the veracity of the word of our Lord Jesus Christ. Nothing. Don't listen to those who instill fear in people. Believers or unbelievers. They don't have the authority. Jesus has the authority. Heaven and earth will pass away. Expect it. His words will never pass away. Bank on it. Not even death and taxes are more imminent than the word of our Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus is the only one we can really believe. Do we understand this? Beloved, this is what we have to latch onto here. This is the main thing. Not what we can see. Not what we could possibly discern about the end. Listen, the end will come. It will come about the way God has designed it to be. Both the end of His life and crucifixion will come. And the end of the world will come because God has raised him from the dead and exalted him and is currently putting all his enemies under his feet. The words of Jesus will never pass away, meaning the words of Jesus will always hold the truth. Always look to Jesus, look to him, believe him. Look at verse 32. But concerning that day or that hour, whichever it is. No one knows, not even the angels in heaven, nor the Son, but only the Father. Be on guard, keep awake, for you do not know when the time will come. It is like a man going on a journey when he leaves home and puts his servants in charge, each with his work, and commands the doorkeeper to stay awake. Therefore, stay awake, for you do not know when the master of the house will come, in the evening, or at midnight, or when the rooster crows, or in the morning lest he come suddenly and find you asleep. And what I say to you, I say to all. Do you see? When he wants to make the difference, he does. What I say to you, I say to all. Stay awake. In the context of Mark 13, the day of which Jesus has been speaking is the day of his exaltation, when he ascends to the Ancient of Days, as prophesied in Daniel 7. This is the event that begins the end. But there are things surrounding this event and characterizing this event that will shake the disciples' confidence and faith, which is why believing verse 31 in the midst of all of this is so important. Shockingly, Jesus himself says he is not aware of the exact time of this event. He's God in the flesh, second person of The Trinity, eternally coexistent with the Father. How can He not know? Is this an argument against the deity of Jesus? He he, he didn't know, and He's supposed to know everything. No, this is evidence of the authenticity of His humanity, of His condescension to us. In His humanity, in which He still retains full deity, He is simply unaware of the exact time of certain things like this. So if it has the potential to surprise him, how much more vigilant do his disciples need to be so that when these events happen, they don't abandon him? Which, by the way, they are all going to do 
when they begin to happen. Remember that. Notice what Jesus compares their need to be on guard and keep awake for in 34 to 36. Let's look there again. It is like a man going on a journey when he leaves home and puts his servants in charge, each with his work, and commands the doorkeeper to stay awake. Therefore, stay awake. For you do not know when the master of the house will come, in the evening or at midnight, or when the rooster crows, or in the morning, lest he come suddenly and find you asleep. Beloved, I want us to consider his choice of words here. Because, why does that matter? We've just learned in verse 31 of the authority and certainty of his words. Jesus was not careless with his words. Nothing Jesus said is irrelevant. And everything he says here, everything, will relate directly to his great tribulation before the cross. And what will these disciples, by the way, what will these disciples specifically, at least three of them, be doing when he comes to them while suffering, sweating blood, in tribulation, in prayer, in the garden? What will they be doing? They will be sleeping. In just the very next chapter, in 1437, they weren't going to hold the watch. They weren't going to be ready for this moment to come. And so Mark is showing us why these words also have immediate relevance for us. When the way is hard to see, when the night has been too long, when the suffering is too great, when the understanding is too impossible to grasp, when the lights begin to go out, when the evil of the world seems like it is triumphing and conquering, we choose to doubt the word. We choose to set it aside. We default to our flesh. We fall asleep. Our flesh makes us too frail to do what Jesus has told us to do. So we're going to need something objective, something immovable, something greater than us that holds us because we cannot follow the words of Jesus in our own strength. Left to us by his side, praying for him right before he's crucified, we would fall asleep we would succumb in the greatest moment in history to the fact that we can't keep our eyes open. So verse 31 has to be true. Verse 31 has to be the promise. It has to be our hope. Jesus has spoken. When he says, stay awake, he means believe my word. Verse 31, don't stop believing my word. Notice what he tells these four disciples again in verse 35, therefore stay awake. Now listen to, listen to what he says here. For you do not know when the master of the house will come, in the evening or at midnight or when the rooster crows or in the morning. Beloved, that's an outline for what is about to come here in the Gospel of Mark. Jesus refers to the four watches of the night in this culture, Roman culture, evening, midnight, dawn, and morning. I've tried to show how Mark 13 reads deliberately as an apocalyptic preparation of sorts for the passion narrative in these following chapters of Mark, the last chapters. And beloved, when we begin to actually read it in Mark 14 and the events that lead to his crucifixion, you find these four times specifically referenced right in front of us. The Last Supper with his disciples takes place in the evening. The trials in the Garden of Gethsemane happen at Midnight, the trial at Peter's denial of Jesus take place at dawn when the rooster crows. 
And the trial before Pilate takes place throughout the morning. The expectations of Mark 13 find their fulfillment in the details of the Passion narrative. In other words, Jesus' death, His martyrdom is not just one more in the long list of them. It is the death and exaltation that usher in the last days of the earth and the reign of the one who became victorious through suffering. That which is most likely to throw us off, right, was the means by which God would bring about the exaltation of His Son. Don't let suffering steal your faith. Don't let suffering make you think that God is not with you. Or that some plan or person is greater than His and is more influential in the course of your life than He is. When suffering is the means, the means by which God brought about His plan for all creation. Because this coming of the Son of Man to the Ancient of Days, by which He has granted all authority in heaven and on earth, by which the ruler of this world has been cast out for now in John twelve thirty one, as even now God is making all His enemies a footstool for His feet, Jesus also tells us, all disciples for all time, us to stay awake. He's going to be exalted, and once He's exalted, that is proof to you and I that everything God has said is going to be, will be. The end is here. It's been here. We're talking about God's timetable, not ours. It is no small thing that with the Lord, one day is as a thousand years, and a thousand years is as one day. We don't operate on the same scale. Time is not Lord over God. Jesus reigns. Now, He is coming. He has won. It is finished. All that God intends for history is coming true. And nothing can stop it. Nothing can stop it. Don't forget. Don't forget this. Don't fall asleep. Right? Don't, don't fall asleep. Don't let the horrible sting of death make you think that this isn't going to happen. Beloved, Jesus will wake you up. Don't worry about it. Don't worry about it. He'll wake you up. Because this day came, that day is coming. It is sure. It is fixed. Heaven and earth will pass away. The earth could explode. You think God can't put your molecules back together? Don't let suffering and trials and tribulation, don't let the advance that the ever-rising tide of evil make you think for one moment that Jesus has somehow lost His ability to keep His Word. Heaven and earth will pass away, but His Word will still stand supreme forever over all reality. All of it. Can a Baptist church say amen? Amen. All right. For the love of Pete. <laughs> Jesus calls us all to vigilance until the end. With the truth and perfection, the permanence of His Word as the reason for our enduring faith. Beloved, we're not called to stay awake in fear. We're not called to stay awake in doubt or with anxiety, right? But in eager expectation, our redemption draws nigh. 
Our redemption, not our defeat, not our sorrow, not even our death is final here. Because He reigns now. You understand this? Right? The reason we can even die and go into the grave or that heaven and earth could pass away and did not threaten our destiny is because He's reigning now. He's over it all now. Making that pronouncement, that declaration before anything could happen and in spite of what will happen. So beloved, no more fear. And we're not talking about being tough in ourselves. That's not what I mean. No more fear, Jesus reigns. That's why. No more wringing our hands. Heaven and earth will pass away. It will happen. But His Word won't. And if His Word won't, the Word that holds us, then we won't either. For it is the Word of Jesus that not only created us, but then recreated us by His grace that we might be His forever. It's the same Word that, that, that called the earth creation out of the void, out of nothing. Just like Paul says he did when I was saved. That's how I got saved. There was nothing, but the word of Jesus is stronger than nothing. He creates out of the void. That's what he did in me. This is the word that holds my destiny. I know whom I have believed, and I am persuaded that he is able to keep that which I committed to him until that day. It's His Word that keeps me secure in His hand so that none can take me from Him. I'm saved forever because of Him and who He is and the sufficiency of His cross. My propensity towards sin, the fallenness of my will is not stronger than His saving grace or I would lose my salvation. No question. It is His Word that ordains and controls my destiny. It is His Word that promises me forgiveness, that washes me clean, that gives me righteousness. It's His Word. His Word is the sword that one day will defeat the world and the enemy at the end of all things when He returns in power and in glory, literally and visibly. Neither Jesus nor His Word will ever pass away. Take heart, beloved. Take heart. Be vigilant. Because His return is guaranteed. Be vigilant in faith. Be vigilant in love and in the good works of which our neighbors and our enemies are so desperate. Preach this word. Shout it from the mountaintops. Jesus is the truth. Is He yours this morning? Is He yours? One of the primary reasons Jesus is reigning is to forgive sin and grant righteousness and eternal life to all who believe. This God the Father has also given Him all authority in heaven and on earth to do. The fact that we could walk into this room this morning destined for eternal condemnation, some of us, Lost and dead in our trespasses and sins. Without God. Without hope. But then, by His grace, walk out of this room. A born again child of God. Fully forgiven. Completely cleansed. Made righteous. Made new. 
with all the benefits and privileges appearing there too as a child of God, ours forever is evidence, not just of His saving power, but of His reigning place right now at the Father's right hand to dole out salvation to sinners. For His reign is also a reign of grace. So come to Jesus. Come to Him. His Word holds the world together. His Word directs the course of the world and everyone in it. We will all stand before Him. Every single one of us. And we will stand before Him a child of His grace or a child of condemnation. And the one thing that makes the difference, the one thing that makes the difference is what we believe about Jesus Christ. His power is magnified when we believe. It proves that He is reigning now when sinners from America and Indonesia and Qatar and Saudi Arabia and Nigeria and the Sudan and North Korea and Australia and China and Denmark and Sweden and all these places, when they come to Jesus, it's proof, it's a shout to the universe that the cosmic Jesus is in control and reigns over everything, even sin, even death. We realize this every single day. Every time we pray, we are witnessing to all creation that our Lord reigns, beloved. He is on His throne to set us free. He holds the keys. He holds all the power. Just Jesus. And believers, the writer of Hebrews actually, that we read from this morning, clues us in on why why realizing that Jesus is reigning right now, this morning, matters so much to us. Okay? In Hebrews 2, 8, and 9, very interestingly, earthly, the author admits to us, no, it doesn't look like Jesus is reigning now. Right? The, the Scriptures fully admit that. Right? It, 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 listen to the verse. We do not yet see everything in subjection to Him. Right? The, the, the Bible literally says that. Right, yeah, right now you don't see everything in subjection to Him. That doesn't mean it isn't. You just don't see it. Right? It's, 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 it's right in front of us on the pages of Scripture, what we need for our faith. We do not yet see everything in subjection to Him, but we see Him who for a little while was made lower than the angels, namely Jesus, crowned with glory and honor. That's how we see Him. That's what He looks like now. No, it doesn't look like everything is in subjection to Him, but we see Him crowned with glory and honor. Do you see the argument? Because of the suffering of death, so that by the grace of God He might taste death for everyone. No, it, it doesn't look like everything is being put in subjection under the feet of Jesus. No question. No, it doesn't look like that. It looks exactly the opposite, doesn't it? It doesn't even usually look like we are children of God. What, what if we applied the same thinking to our own lives? We'd never have assurance. It doesn't look like Jesus is reigning. Well, it doesn't look like I'm a born-again, righteous, forgiven, cleansed child of God with the Holy Spirit living inside of me much of the time either. Especially when I'm driving. Or my kids are driving me nuts, or the, the person at the drive-thru won't pull up. Right? No, but, but, but seriously, it, it doesn't, 
Beloved, we do not look to what is seen to determine what we believe. And no, I'm not excusing my sin. It's disgusting and pathetic, and I'm not excusing it. I'm simply saying, what is the basis of who we are? What is the basis of what we believe? No, it doesn't look like everything is in subjection to Him. It sure doesn't look like the reign of Jesus right now, but I'm telling you, every time a sinner comes home, it is proof that He is on His throne. Right? We don't see everything in subjection to Him, but it is. It is. Every world leader right now is in subjection to Jesus. They just don't know it. But we do. So breathe, pray, and preach the gospel. It's finished. It's finished. Everything God says is going to happen is going to happen. Everything. Everything. We don't look to what is seen, not to know whether or not Jesus is reigning, and certainly not to know whether or not we belong to Him. We look to Jesus. What's the one permanent thing? His word will not pass away. That's my hope of salvation. That's it. That's it. It's what Jesus speaks over me, not what I say. Right? We look to Jesus. We do see Him. And do you see what the writer of Hebrews is doing? He's just made the point that everything is in subjection to the Son. That's why he says it doesn't look like it. But we do see Him. God says He's crowned right now with glory and honor. So we believe that. Right? We believe that. Why does it matter that we see Him? Because of where He is when we look. At the right hand of God the Father, exalted all authority in heaven and on earth. His. Nobody really has authority over us except Jesus. Do you realize this? So whatever happens to me had to pass through His hand before it gets to me. Do I trust Him? Right? That's the bottom line. It is really hard to trust Jesus. You're going to see that. Because they're just, these poor guys are just going to fall asleep. And then they're going to run away. And, and, the, and, the, and the, the condition of the church doesn't look too good at the end of Mark, does it? Just before the glory starts. It doesn't look very good. Sleeping, denying. When the rooster crows, right? That's not, come on. That's not like a throwaway line. Jesus is telling them, you're going to see this take place. Don't let it shake your faith. What a mercy to Peter. You're going to deny me three times. Do not think that it means you aren't mine. Jesus is beautiful. Everything he does, everything he says He's reigning now, and of this we must be mindful. We must see Him by faith, beloved. Remember, we walk by faith, not by sight. Ever. Ever. Faith sees what eyes cannot. Faith is the means by which we believe Jesus is reigning now. That's the only way we can acknowledge this is by faith. Why? Because we don't see it. So, if we try to use our eyes to believe that Jesus is reigning... We will deny that He is based on what our eyes can see. So don't do it. Don't look to what is seen. Believe His Word. The proof of His reign now in this age is that the one who sits on the throne and the Lamb have their arms wide open to receive all who come. Every tribe, every language, every people, every nation. Those who have no money to come and buy. How? Because all the authority is in the hands of the Savior.
All who are thirsty, come and drink. Who are hungry, come and feast. We don't yet see everything in subjection to Him, but we will. We will. He was reigning last year, two days ago. He was reigning in 2020. He was reigning in 2019. He was reigning in 33, 34 AD. He'll be reigning in 2022. And He redeems and keeps all who come to Him once and for all time. Beloved, heaven and earth will pass away. His Word will never pass away. Bow your knees to the risen Christ in 2022 and start today. 